about that city he's prepared. When I arrive, I'll know who placed me there. For my efforts fall so short of the glory of the Lord. He knew, and that's why he came all the way, all the way. He came all the way for me. Well, the, uh, the Dyes wanted to thank the church for just your prayers and your support during this very difficult time in the loss of Judy's mom, and I just wanted to let you know how much they appreciate you and your effort there and just your willingness to be there for them. And uh, also, I want to um, take a moment and also uh, express, um, um, I know it sounds terrible, I'm, I'm transitioning, but it's not a bad thing. Um, the, the singles are having a big thing coming up here soon on June the 5th is what I'm trying to say. And if you know anybody that's single 30 and below, and, and again, we, we do, we're a little lenient around here on that, but for the sake of just um, of keeping things uh, where they need to be, 30, never married, no children, okay? You get that? 30, never married, no children. If you know somebody like that, you need to get them here on June the 5th. At 6.30, uh, we're going to be having a, our first uh, singles conference. We're not sure how many we're going to have here. We may only have a few. We may have a bunch. I don't know yet. But we're not getting much feedback from local churches. That's the problem. We very, very difficult time trying to get any information at all from churches. And let's face it, it's, um, singles are the lost group in the church a lot of times. You know, they graduate high school, and we dump tons of money into them, and half of them never show up anyway. And, you know, and I'm not trying to be negative, but uh, I'm a little biased because I take care of singles now, so I'd like to see half that budget on us, but uh, especially if it could get me on vacation and stuff. And, but, uh, <clears throat> but no, I'm joking. But, but really, in reality, you think about how it normally goes in church. Normally, the, 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 you know, you're, they're going to camp, the, the teenagers are. They're, they, they have these things for Friday night for this and that, and they do all these activities, and they've got a budget usually, or they're raising money for that stuff. And then the singles come along, and boom, where do they go? What do they do? In most churches, there's nothing for singles, nothing at all, nothing, not even, a, not even a hello, how you doing, let's go to Taco Bell once every half year. You know what I mean? It's not, not even that, okay? I'm not trying to be negative or critical. I'm just being honest. And honestly, to be honest with you, I'm a little bit ticked off. I'm a little bit ticked off at some churches. We're trying to call these churches, trying to reach churches, and they're just acting like, and I'm thinking, are you kidding me? We're trying to do something for your singles. And we can't even get you to even respond back. Can't even get you to, you know, I, I don't get that. If I had one single right now in my, in my church, 
I would be going, hey, I'm going to try to get that single to that singles conference. Because they need to know there are other singles that are living for God. You know, we got a good group of singles around here. But you know what? Very few churches have anything like that. And so we're just trying to spread the wealth a little bit and who knows, maybe get a single married off or something. And uh, <clears throat> you just never know. You never know. <laughs> you know, they're always going, we got to go out somewhere and find us somebody to get married to. we got to go to that liberal church down the street because there's no singles around here. Well, you know what? Maybe this is a good opportunity for some guy that's all by himself in a church down here in, you know, Timbuktu to come up here to a church like this, get around some of these girls and find out he's a soul winner and find out he's faithful in God's house and find out he loves the Lord and find out he's called, maybe even called a minister or something. And one of these girls says, you know, he, he looks okay. And then, and then go forward. You know, you never know, okay? <clears throat> Somebody says, you shouldn't be trying to match people. I'm not trying to match anybody. I'm just saying, singles might as well get it together here than a bar. Amen. I mean, that's the way I, I, I mean, I'm, I don't, why, why in the world, you know, we, well, let's provide something for them, an opportunity for them. That's, I appreciate what Brother Kavanaugh and Miss Kavanaugh and, uh, are doing about this. Uh, uh, look, I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't agree with prom. I don't agree with prom. I don't believe a teenagers going to prom where people are getting drunk before they go and kids are doing things that acting like adults that are married when they aren't. I, I think, I'm, listen, I don't agree with it, not at all. And you know what? That's, and I appreciate them stepping up and saying, you know what, we don't agree with it, but we're not just going to start yelling at kids and telling them we don't agree with it. We're going to give them an opportunity to do something in place of it, a substitute. I like that. And you say, well, it's not the same thing. Well, you know what? You know what the biggest problem is? And I hope I get to the message tonight. But you know what the biggest problem is with adults, with us? We think we're cheating our kids when we don't let them do certain things that we did growing up. We, we act like we're cheating them. Like they're missing out on life because they didn't get to go to their prom. They're missing out on life because they didn't get to go to a school dance when they were in seventh grade. Stupid stuff like that. We're, they're missing out because they don't get to dress like we did. They're missing out because they don't get to go mix swimming like we did. They get, they, we're missing out because they don't get to go to the theater like we did. You know, we're not running to Hollywood. We're not doing all that stuff. We've made up our minds. We're Christians. We're going to live like it and act like it. You know what I'm saying? And all I'm saying is sometimes we're the, our children's worst enemy. Boy, this is a great opportunity. And, and again, for the singles, that's what I want. I, I don't want our singles running out doing things they shouldn't be doing. And you know what? It's hard to keep a single straight because they've got a lot of energy. And they've got a lot of hormones. And they've got a lot of the stuff God gave them. And it's okay. They're allowed to have all that going. But we want to make sure that they're funneling it in the right direction. And so you be praying about Friday the, I almost said 13th, Friday the 5th, <laughs> Friday the 5th. You be praying about that, all right? Because we want it to go off well and we want kids, I don't care if there's only 30, I don't care if it's just our singles there that night in the long, I do care, but I'm just saying if it's just ours, we're going to have a great time. We're going to have a great time. I'm going to preach like there's a thousand there. And we're going to still have our split sessions. And we're still going to have our question answer to couples. And we're going to do all the stuff we're going to do. I don't care. We're going to eat the best food. We're going to have a great time. I don't care how many show up or how few or little. We're going to have a good time, okay? We're going to do it first class no matter who shows up. And so, anyway, you be praying about that. And, uh, again, if you know somebody that's single, and I don't care if they're a drug addict. I don't care if they're a drug addict. You hear what I'm telling you? If you know them, you go, well, they go to the university and they're a really bad person and they're, they're really involved in a lot of immorality and I don't care. If they're 30 and below, never been married, have no children, you get them here, they need to be in God's house. That's the best place for them, okay? So get them here. I don't care if you've got to drag them here. 
Get them here. Sit with them if you want. I don't care. If you think that'll help, you come on out and we'll get you saved too. Okay, so anyway, <clears throat> we'll have a good time. All right, um, 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy. If you are in need of a job and you'd like to help out in the church cleaning, I'm telling you what, Lori could use at least two more cleaners, at least two more, okay? If you can help out with that, that'd be awesome. Um, one of the things that I appreciate uh, it, when I walk in the doors of Community Baptist Temple is that things are usually normally clean the chairs are looking nice and the, 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 I understand the floor looks horrible in here I do understand that hopefully won't you know we keep saying this but we shouldn't be here much longer but uh, you know I don't know you know that it's not just on me guys that's on you too so anyway we won't be here much longer okay we're in this together so you know but uh, we shouldn't be but uh, boy like the carpet out there it looks first class you know we got it changed it looks nice the bathrooms are clean and we try to keep things looking sharp. I'll tell you what, that's important. And uh, so never underestimate how important it is that your church is clean. Uh, it's so important. And it's just like your houses. Ladies, you know, I make a lot of visits, you know. And um, I've had ladies that will say, you, 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 no, you, don't, you can't come in. You can't come in. No, you can't come in. And you know what they're telling me? I haven't cleaned my house. I haven't cleaned my house. I haven't cleaned. And I'm thinking, ah, whatever. Especially if you have kids, you know what I mean? There's going to be some clutter. All right? I just don't know what the rest of the people's problem is. But anyway, I'm joking. I'm joking. Boy, take it easy, all right? You guys, it's a rough crowd tonight, I can tell already. Okay, first, first Timothy, first Timothy chapter 1. We're not going to get too far today. We're just going to open up our series today, a new series. Again, um, Counsel from a Spiritual Father. And again, we're, we're talking about Paul and Timothy. And, you know, again, I, I deal with the singles and... and um, what I, I love about dealing with singles is that most of them, at least the ones that we have around here, are really, they desire counsel. They really want to learn, and they want to grow. And they want God to do something miraculous in their life. And I like that. And, you know, Timothy was one of those guys. Timothy was like that. He wanted God to do something miraculous in his life. And uh, Paul the Apostle was willing to invest in his life. It, took a, it was a tremendous investment. But, boy, it paid off many-fold, didn't it? Paid off many-fold. And uh, so, um, I, I, I don't know why, but really, singles in this room, um, all you singles that are in the room, would you stand up that, that are in our class? Why don't you stand up? Would you stand up tonight? Um, I, I just want to say this. I want to say this to you. I love you, and I appreciate you. I appreciate your dedication to the Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciate your commitment. And, and I just want you to know it doesn't go unnoticed. It doesn't. When you think that it's going unnoticed and you believe somehow that if you just disappeared, nobody would miss you, I want you to know that's not true at all around here, okay? We'd miss you. I'd miss you. And I just want you to know that Sherry and I love you, and we certainly want to see you prosper. Thank you for your heart and your attitude. Thank you for your willingness to be used of God. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Anyway, um, as we look at this passage now in the book of First Timothy, uh, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. We're going to open up with those two verses because all we're going to do is basically take an introduction today. And we're going to look at this passage and we're going to try to um, just uh, set the stage for the, the coming weeks. Now, Paul was Timothy's hero. And um, you got to believe that. I mean, the circumstances by which they met and things that went on, 
um, are just uh, really kind of amazing there. To give you a little bit of background, of course, Timothy, his father, as many of you may know already, was a Gentile. He was a Gentile. His mother and his grandmother were Jewish. Now, even though the dad was a Gentile, mom and grandma reared him on Bible stories, I'm sure. They reared him on the Word of God. They reared him on some of the Messianic hopes of that Jesus Christ would one day come and that he would ultimately, uh, that he would return and uh, that mean that he would come, excuse me, and that he would ultimately take his place on Calvary and so forth. And, you know, his dad's influence was obviously fairly strong in his life and that he was not circumcised. As a child, we know that uh, later on in life, Timothy would be circumcised. So we know that that Gentile influence was obvious in his life early on. But like I said, on the other hand, even though his mother may have yielded to that influence there, she also ensured and made sure that Timothy was taught the Jewish faith, that, that he heard those things. And so while dad would teach him stories about the Greek gods, uh, I, you know, while dad would tell him about Alexander the Great and the glory of Rome, maybe. Here you had, on the other hand, you had his mother filling his heart with just the stories of her heroes. You know, men like Moses and uh, people like David and Elijah. You've got to believe that she would rehearse some of those stories over and over and over again to young Timothy as he, she bounced him on her knee. And so Timothy grew up being influenced both Gentile influence as well as Jewish influence. And then one day, Paul shows up. And Paul just invades Galatia with the gospel of Christ. I mean, he just comes in with a storm. He took city after city. Pisidia, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, All cities that the apostle Paul made his footprint in. And so when he finally arrives in Lystra the Apostle Paul, that is. It, and, and they believed that Lystra was Timothy's hometown, by the way. Um, he turned that city upside down almost immediately with a miraculous um, healing of a crippled man. There happened to be a crippled fellow there, and, and he had been crippled his whole life. Everybody knew it. And all of a sudden, Paul here is used by God to heal this cripple. And before it's over with, there are, are those that are exalting them to, the, to, 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 I mean, God status. They're trying to say that they're an incarnation of, of, of Mercury and, and the God uh, um, Jupiter. Isn't that amazing? So here they are, but they, you know, just like we say that God was uh, made in flesh in Jesus Christ. They're saying Mercury and Jupiter, those gods, here they are incarnate right before our very eyes. Here they are. And, uh, boy, they want to build and erect, you know, uh, sacrifice, and they want to do all that stuff with him. And Paul, he just, he said, listen, you know what? I'm not a god. I'm just a man. And it took all of his persuasive powers just to get them to not build, uh, you know, to, to, to sacrifice unto him. Well, <clears throat> I can only imagine what the dinner table sounded like at, at Timothy's house that night. I mean, can you imagine as they sat around having dinner and, of course, mom being uh, Jewish, uh, hearing this man of God and seeing what transpired and took place and then dad being a Greek and trying to understand, I mean, his gods, who knows, he, he probably recognized Jupiter and Mercury and he probably, you know, from what we can tell, was not saved. And so, therefore, I, you can only imagine he's talking about, did you see what went on this afternoon? Did you see how that, that uh, you know, they might have known him by, they might have known him his whole life, that man that had been healed. 
And, and boy, that was amazing. Wasn't that miraculous? It was unbelievable. Do you really think that they're gods? Do you think they're gods? No, I don't think they're gods. I think they're from God, Jehovah God. And boy, the, who knows the kind of conversation that took place at the dinner table that night. It wouldn't be long before the news of Jesus Christ coming as prophesied and ultimately taking his place on Calvary, being buried and rising again the third day, would come to the ears of Timothy. And it wouldn't be long, I'm sure, that Timothy trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. Well, there's another upheaval in town now. Not only, this time it's not about trying to elevate or magnify or glorify Paul, but this time they're trying to wound him and hurt him. Again, a, a group of angry Jews from Antioch and Iconium had fled into Lystra. And they started to brand Paul as a heretic and say that he was just trying to stir up trouble in the city. So they seized Paul. They stoned him. They went ahead and drug him out of the city, beaten, bruised, and bleeding. Paul the apostle is left for dead. It's only then that some of the Jews come and check him out and realize that he's still alive and he stands to his feet. I don't know. Maybe the Apostle Paul went and stayed the night at Timothy's house. I don't know. I don't know what kind of interaction. I don't understand exactly what took place. But somehow, some way, when the Apostle Paul left Lystra to go to Derby, he took Timothy's heart with him. And from that point on, Timothy would be tied to the Apostle Paul. Paul may have written a number of letters to this young man, Timothy. However, we only have two of them that have continued through time, have been forged in history as a result of the Word of God. And so, First and Second Timothy are books that were written from a spiritual father to a spiritual son. And we're going to take a few moments and begin to look at that over these next weeks and try to understand a little bit about this book, 1 Timothy. And so today we're going to touch on it a little bit and we're going to break down just those first couple verses. We don't have long, so let's have a quick word of prayer and then we'll continue. Father, thank you for this time, these next couple of moments. May you just be glorified in it. And again, thank you, Father, for the book of Timothy. Thank you, Father, for just a servant that was willing to be counseled, willing to be mentored, and ultimately willing to obey both you and the Apostle Paul. Father, may you be with not just these young men and ladies, but with each and every one of us, Lord, as all of us are spiritual children to somebody, and hopefully all of us are some spiritual father or mother to somebody. Help us to learn and to grow from these passages over the next weeks. Lord, be glorified now in this place. Teach us and fill us. In Jesus' name, amen. First of all, we notice Paul and his signature. Paul and his signature. If you look at right at the very beginning of the passage, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. We see his apostleship. Well, I'll tell you what, that was an amazing thing, his apostleship to begin with. We know there were a number of apostles. In the Bible, sometimes we get the idea that there were only 12 apostles. In reality, there are more apostles than that. But nonetheless, Paul is an apostle, and he's one out of due season, he calls himself. We note that here Paul included his title in his signature. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, here he is saying, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Not just Paul, 
but an apostle of Jesus Christ. Why in the world would Paul write this letter to Timothy, his friend or his son in the faith, and then turn around and include his title? Well, obviously in that day and, that day and time, it was a common practice to begin a letter with a signature, obviously, or stating who it was that was writing, but it wasn't really that common to write your title down. Even today, if you would try to write a friend, you wouldn't probably put, I, you know, I wouldn't put Dr. O'Donnell. Somebody asked me, well, we're going to start calling you Dr. O'Donnell. I said, well, my kids don't. They still call me dad. You know what? You still call me pastor. We have a relationship. It's different. Now, maybe if I go somewhere else or if I write an official letter on behalf of the church, I may have to sign something that way. That'd be fine. But I wouldn't go to my children and say, I, I, you know, I'm writing a letter to my daughter for her birthday and write from Dr. O'Donnell to Morgan or Megan. No, I wouldn't do that because that's, that just wouldn't be necessary. So why is Paul doing that then? I mean, this is his son in the faith. What's the purpose of this? Why is he taking the time to write his title? Well, you know, it seems that more than likely, 1 Timothy was not just a personal letter or it wasn't intended to be just a personal letter. It, it might contain some personal touches, but it really was what was, we call a pastoral letter. So Paul intended that others in his ministry, Paul's, I mean, Timothy's ministry, would read this letter, would glean from the letter, would grow from the letter. Yes, he writes it to Timothy, but he's anticipating, expecting others to also read it. And so he's going to express his apostleship. He's going to in, express the authority that he has through that title and through the Lord. Now, Timothy was probably in Ephesus at the time when Paul wrote the letter here. He's in Ephesus. Now, if he's in Ephesus, that means he's pastoring one of the greatest of Paul's churches. Paul started a number of churches. Ephesus is one of the greatest churches Paul started, and Timothy became the pastor of Ephesus. And so here he is now writing to Timothy. Now, again, before he left Ephesus, Paul the apostle, he warned them of something. He warned them over in the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 29. He said, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. He's saying, now listen, when I, I'm going to leave here, but let me tell you something. Not long after I get out of here, after I leave, there are going to be some grievous wolves entering in among you. There are going to be those that come in and take their place like a good Christian and have a seat amongst them. Oh, it won't necessarily be from the outside. It's going to be a grievous wolf. As a matter of fact, they're going to be, look like lambs. They're going to look probably like the most faithful believer. But boy, I'll tell you what, they're going to be in there and they're going to be after blood. And they're going to seek to sow false doctrine. They're going to seek to bring separation. They're going to seek to bring division in the church. And so he writes to Timothy and he, he expresses his apostleship and he lets him know that, that he understands that not just Timothy but others are going to need what he's going to write. And the fact is, is that we need what he wrote to Timothy today. Paul had sent Timothy to Ephesus to deal with the situation. There had been some problems, obviously. And his letters intended to strengthen Timothy's hand, to give him some ammunition, to guide him in the steps that he needs to take as a young man heading up a 
thriving ministry. The idea that a young man cannot pastor a large church is foolish. The reality is, is that God gives wisdom. Now, I'm not saying that you foolishly enter into things a novice. We're not talking about that. But more than likely, Timothy is 30 to 35 years of age at this point. And he's pastoring one of the most influential churches that the Apostle Paul had ever started. We see his apostleship. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. But we see his authority. He goes on to say, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God. The commandment of God. Here we see his authority now. Oh, yes, his apostleship stated right off the bat, but now we note his authority by the commandment of God. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Paul was an apostle, but he wasn't an apostle because some guy decided to give him a stamp of approval or somehow give him a certificate or tell him, hey, boy, you passed the test. You're up now. You're an apostle. No, he was an apostle by the commandment of God. His authority wasn't in a man-made institution. His authority wasn't brought about by some kind of um, uh, deed or something he had done along the way. No, God was his. God is the one who provided him his authority. A Roman governor derived his authority from either the Roman Senate or Caesar. Caesar would say, "Well, you know what? Uh, you are a Roman governor, and as a Roman governor, you have the authority of Caesar." And don't cross him now. He has every authority of Caesar. He could take your very life if he feels that that's what's necessary. Paul's authority came from God. It's as simple as it was. His authority came from God. It had only been probably six years since the Apostle Paul had sent that original letter to Ephesus. And yet now we find Paul feeling the need to exert his apostolic authority by placing right at the beginning of his letter to Timothy, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God. Obviously, there's a reason why he had to state his apostleship. Obviously, there's a reason why he had to ensure his authority was well documented and understood. Maybe it was simply that they had slipped some. We know that in the book of Revelation, that when it talks of Ephesus, we know that they say, or it speaks of them, what is it, uh, losing or mis- uh, um, about their first love, what is it? They left their first love. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I like it when he speaks to me like that, broadly. <laughs> I couldn't think of that for the life of me. But they left their first love. So it's quite possible that now six years after writing the book of Ephesians, after sharing that letter with the church, that now he's writing to Timothy and going to try to shore up the walls a little bit. So right from the start of the book, we note Paul's apostleship and his authority. Then we note Paul and his Savior. Paul and his Savior. First of all, the Savior is the one in whom we live. He's everything to us. He says, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ. 
So Paul became an apostle by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting to note that God is called our Savior here. And that, that's, that's kind of interesting to me. God's called our Savior. You say, well, God is our Savior. I know, but normally it speaks of Jesus Christ as our Savior. But in this particular case, he starts off by calling God our Savior. Now, again, in 1 Timothy 2.3, we see that this, is, this happens you know, a number of times. Not a number, but a few times in the Bible. I'll give you just three examples. In 1 Timothy 2.3, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. First, uh, Titus 1.3, But hath in due times manifest his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God, our Savior. We see it in Titus 2.10, But pure longing, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. So again, it's, it's not like it never happens, but it is rare to say the least. Normally, Jesus Christ is referred to as our Savior. So what, is it, what, what do we see here? And what's really taking place? Why in the world would he utilize that kind of phraseology here, the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ? I think, to be quite frank with you, I think that once again he's reinforcing the deity of Jesus Christ. Seeing that he's referring to both God the Father and Son as Savior. I like that. Because, see, if God's the Savior and Jesus is the Savior, then that makes them both the Savior. And we know that there's only really one Savior. Therefore, Jesus and God are one. I kind of like that. So with God's authority, we can almost picture Paul the Apostle now striding right on into Galatia. I mean, just walking right on into Galatia with the authority of God and the Word of God in his hand. And he makes his way into the, that, that, that area. And there's a number of cities, obviously, throughout Galatia and Europe and even ultimately Asian of, uh, uh, the Asian Ephesus in which Timothy is. And so as the ambassador of God, and that's what we all are, right, ambassadors? I mean, he goes with the authority of God. And he walks right into these, these cities. He walks right into these, these nations or countries, if you will. And they are bound by sin. There are wicked cultures that he's dealing with. I mean, there are corrupt, false religions that he's facing now. It's not like everything was just peaches and cream. It wasn't a rose garden. I mean, there were a lot of thorns here. And he marches right on in. Satan had a foothold in these cities. And wickedness seemed to reign. And it didn't just reign among some of the people. No, their government was corrupt. Their courts were corrupt. Their colleges and their universities, their homes, even their hearts of most of the people were extremely hard, cold, and sinful. So how in the world is one guy, one man, and just a few of his followers going to make such an impact in such a place? How are they possibly going to get the job done against those kind of odds. Well, again, Paul was backed by the power of God. He wasn't doing it his own intellect or his own ability. He was operating in the presence and the power of God himself. He had the authority of God. He had the Savior, Jesus Christ. When he would enter a city, he would look for a synagogue to start with. If he couldn't find a synagogue, then he might look for a river where people were congregating, kind of like he did in Philippi. 
And if that didn't work, then possibly he would take a job. What a novel idea as a pastor. Take a job as a tent maker. And ultimately, as he did in Corinth, mind you, and ultimately connect with people through his work and through the culture. Either way, the Apostle Paul made contacts. And that's the real key to the ministry, isn't it? Whether you're in, quote, the ministry or you're in the ministry, either way, we're all in it. Contacts are the key to everything. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul did. And then at that point, he would count on God to bring hearts into his proximity, people that had already been touched by God. See, it's not enough. I can go to 30 people. And, and take the plan and the message of God, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if God hasn't touched that heart already, then listen, it is falling on hard ground. It's not going to take root. Are we so arrogant and so prideful to think that somehow we can be so polished that they're going to listen to us, that they're going to be convinced to trust Christ simply because we tell them how important he is? This is a supernatural business that we're in. And the Apostle Paul is proof positive that although he went into a culture that would not only rival the United States today, but put us to shame in a sense. We would look, we would look like east side of heaven compared to some of the mess he was dealing with. People say, that's ridiculous, that's impossible. Listen, you think homosexuality is a new thing? Are you kidding me? All you had to do is go to the Roman Empire and see what the officials and some of the political leaders were doing in those days. Let me tell you something. You, you think that, that slavery is a new thing? My goodness, most of the Christians were slaves. I'm just telling you the culture in which he was trying to penetrate was so vile and so wretched and wicked that if the power of the Holy Ghost wasn't invoked, there would have been no work done there in those places. Paul carried with him tremendous power and authority. And you know, when it was all said and done, Satan was no match for this man of God. And you know, Satan is never a match for a man of God. Never. Or a woman of God. He's no match at all for either one. The result, as we well know from reading the Word of God, was that Satan's strongholds were crumbled, that souls were saved, that churches sprang forth, that lives were transformed, that entire families were saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. How many times have we faced a situation and thought there's no hope? That person's too hard. That workplace that I work is just too tough. Nobody's going to want to hear what I have to say. Nobody's going to care about the gospel. Nobody's going to be impacted here by me. I might as well just keep my mouth shut, keep my head down, and just get through. You ever felt that way? But that's not the reality at all, is it? How did Satan respond to all this mess? I mean, to the presence of great authority and power, power from God. Well, he stirred up persecution. He decided to make life tough on all the believers. 
But that only drove Paul to another city. That only sent him packing to another location where once again he shared the gospel. But once again he began to proclaim the truth and where he be, would leave behind another group of believers that would be strengthened in the Lord Jesus Christ, that would be purified, emboldened by his message and his example. Timothy recognized Paul's authority. You want to know something? Anybody that was honest recognized it too. They may not have admitted it, but they recognized it. They knew there was something unique about this man. There was something different about him. They knew there was a man of God in the house. And they didn't necessarily agree with him, but they couldn't deny him. Not only did we see that the, the Savior was the one in whom we live, but we note that the Savior is the one for whom we look. He goes on to say, speaking of the Lord again, he says, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Which is our hope. I mean, we look for the Lord Jesus Christ to return. And you know what they did too? Again, he had declared his apostleship. He declared his authority. And his eyes, the eyes of all those readers, the ones that read this note, possibly this letter could have possibly looked at him or looked even at Timothy, but he turns around and says, which is our hope? And he takes the eyes of them off of him and he takes their eyes off of Timothy and places it right back on Jesus Christ again who's going to come and return. Believers of every age have needed hope. And boy, I'll tell you what, there is no better hope than the return of Christ. And you know, although every age has needed hope, there haven't been many generations that have needed hope like those early Christians did. The persecution they endured, the horrors that they had to put up with. I mean, since Paul had written that letter to the Ephesians just six years earlier, Rome had ramped up their efforts to annihilate and destroy Christianity. I mean, the truth is the world had become a much more dangerous place for believers in that short a time. Nero, he had set fire to Rome. Burned Rome down. Isn't that nice of him? But to cover up his crime, he blamed none other than the Christians. He didn't even blame the Jews. He blamed the Christians. Why would he blame Christians, we may say? Well, because Christians... They have no major organizations or institutions to back them up. They don't have any real influential folks on their side. They don't have a lot of money. They certainly didn't have a nation to go to war for them. So basically, they were just sitting ducks, and he figured, I might as well just blame the Christians. And boy, he did. And they came after them and increasingly, increasingly persecuted them. But as that persecution increased, that word hope became a greater light than ever to them. Titus 2.13 says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. As the days grew even darker and the shadows lengthened, the hope of the Lord's return grew brighter and brighter for them. You know what? That's how it ought to be for us. You know, things aren't getting any better. At least it doesn't appear that way to me. Oh, I, 
I don't know what's going to happen in November next year. But then again, when it's all said and done, you really think that whoever gets in office is going to fix the problems that this nation has? Because the nation's problems are rooted not in their economic policies. It's not rooted in their, their, their international policies or their trade agreements. The real root problem with America is this, the heart. That's the real issue. And the real hope of the believer is not that we'll get some political leader in office that will turn us back 40 or 50 years and bring back a utopia, which it was never a utopia, if you really remember correctly. Our hope is in none other than Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, returning, establishing His throne. So we see here in Timothy a number of things as we kick off our lesson. We note the the Apostle Paul in his signature, his apostleship, his authority. And we noted, as we said already, his, not only his signature, but his Savior. And boy, we have the Savior today. I hope that um, as we go through our lessons in the book of Timothy, that we'll be encouraged. As we look at a church, because when it's all said and done, there's a couple of things that the Apostle Paul addresses. And just in conclusion, we're going to see that he's going to tell Timothy how to build an effective church. How to build an effective church. And we're also going to see along the way, he's going to share with him how to become an effective Christian. So, how to build an effective church, how to become an effective Christian. Those both seem to be things that ought to interest us and ultimately things that we really need along the way. So we'll go ahead and look at those a little bit more next week as we move ahead. But again, let's be faithful about making contact with people, encouraging others, and depending on Christ and His power, not our own. That's the only secret there is of the Christian life, really, is Him. He is the secret, the Lord Jesus Christ. What makes you different than any other faith or religion on the, in the, on the planet? Him. He makes the difference. He is the difference. And so let's always exalt and magnify and, and be grateful to Him. Father, we come to You. We thank You again for just the simple time that we had in Your Word. Lord, as we took some time to just 